Hey everybody, St. Paul here. Episode 61 of Music on the Run with Dr. Fink, Matt Fink. It's coming up next. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donny Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul here. Welcome to episode 61 of Music on the Run. Man, it's starting to get cold here in Minnesota. First significant snowfall of the season today. Nobody knows how to drive, including me. I actually called my, my next guest and said, well, what do you think? I would try to give him an out. And he's like, I just put snow tires on my four-wheel drive. I'm coming. I'm like, all right, guess I can't get out of that one. But anyways, we're going to have a great time today. I can't wait for you to meet our next guest. I did. Before we do that, we got a little housekeeping to do. I wanted to say a heartfelt thank you to our former intern, Emily Turner, who was with us for eight months. She was the heart and soul of this thing. She edited all the Funk Friday. She edited all the episodes of Music on the Run. She's an incredibly talented and wonderful young lady. Emily, thank you for all you brought Music on the Run and Funk Friday, and I know you're going to be incredibly successful. Thanks for all you've done. All right. Now, we have a new intern. His name is Audie, and you will meet him in upcoming episodes. If you've seen the last two episodes of Funk Friday, 139 and 140, you've already seen his work. This is his very first Music on the Run. So we welcome Audie to this. I'm glad you're here, my friend. He's sitting in the background right over here. Um, all right, let's move on to my next guest. He's an old friend of mine and the entire family. He's a producer, he's a writer, keyboardist, record exec, a dad, and a legend of the Minneapolis sound. He's won Grammys, uh, American Music Awards, I couldn't think of it for a second there. Please welcome my friend, the doctor, Matt Fink. How are you, brother? I'm I'm doing pretty well, quite well actually. I know, man. Yeah. We we finally get to hang out again. Yes. Yeah. Which about, has been just wonderful. So it's great. So much. Wh fun. What we've been doing is, is uh, we got a band that some of you that uh, might not know called St. Paul and the Minneapolis Funk All Stars, and I, I don't know how many years ago it was, but we went to Australia and I asked you to come aboard then, and but you were right in the throes of the revolution. So time passes, and I said, well, what do you think, Matt? And the last, what, few months, I guess, you said, yeah, I want to do this. And, man, has it been great to have you a part of that band. Yeah, it's been really fun to get out and play with you guys, and uh, a lot of fun. That's all I can say. Yeah. It's really a great time. Are you doing a, you're doing quite a bit of live playing now, aren't you? I mean, not only with me, but you're playing a little bit around Minneapolis again. That's something you haven't necessarily done a lot of, right? Yeah, not really. I mean, uh, once I was uh, working with Prince, uh, you know, 
I was just there for 12 years. And then after I left the group, at, you know, after about 12 years, uh, I just went headlong into running my studio and uh, right. doing things out of my, uh, my place. And uh, occasional live things, yeah. you know, around town. Occasional things out of out of town, but no big tours with anybody or anything. So yeah, I've I've really it, I didn't really in earnest get back out and play again until about ten years ago in a, in a regular way. Right. And you said you were there for twelve years 12 in years. the Prince Camp. Yeah. You were there from what seventy nine? Mm, yeah, early seventy nine, late seventy eight, actually through nineteen ninety. Oh yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So how did that all come about? You are, you're a kid from Minneapolis. You grew up in St. Louis Park, is that yeah, right? Yeah. So here's here's this kid. How old were you when you started working with him? 20. Okay, so were you playing around town then? Playing around the Midwest, primarily, with a couple different cover groups. Okay. Writing a little bit with some people that were in those bands. We were okay. just kind of getting our feet wet that way. And, um, and then Bobby Rivkin, Bobby Z, the drummer, uh, he and I knew each other since we were pretty young. Oh, cause, no, cause I was going to ask you that, yeah. Yeah, because our, our, our mothers uh, used to do fundraising events for the Mount Sinai Hospital here in Minneapolis. Oh, no kidding. And, and one year, uh, they did some skits together at these events, you know, like funny, they played French maids. I have a picture of them being French maids. And, <laughs> and then Bobby's father and my father actually emceed that event. Really? Together, yeah. And what's really funny about that is I was going through some old stuff at my folks' house years ago and found a program from that night. They had saved it when they were the MCs. Wow. And it was unbelievable. But uh, so I met Bobby when I was about six years old. Went over to his house with my mom because she had to rehearse something for one of those events. Mm -hmm. And that's where I met Bobby. And he already had a drum kit set up in the basement because he was playing in a band called the Jaguars with his brothers already. Wow, his older brother, Stevie and uh... Steve and David. Okay, and you know, Stevie went on to become this renowned film editor to this right. day. He works, you know, does a ton of work in Hollywood and he works on all the uh, those new. Uh, is it John Cameron? Who's the guy that did the Titanic? That's Cameron. Jim, I think. Is it Jim Cameron? No, I think. So. Anyway, uh, you'll look it up. That's what I so does. Regardless, he's working. I know for... who did <clears throat> Titanic. He's working for Cameron right now. I know that again for the, for these science fiction movies right. that are, they're doing, and uh, and then uh, David, the oldest brother, of course. He he's you know produced a lot of great people and won awards and worked with Prince early on. Helped produce Prince's demo. He so, produced the family, the, and he produced the he family, sure of course, which you were involved with. I totally forgot. I've done a lot of work with David. He's done a lot. You yeah. have. I've done some mm -hmm. work with him over the years. James Cameron, I was right. I had the name right. <laughs> you know, okay. I, I, I think I said John. Oh, <clears throat> That's okay. Whatever. I thought I said John first. Okay, so it's me. But regardless of that, so so then, um, so Bobby brought Prince's demo tape that had been produced by David to me one evening. I was out playing with my group called Zachariah at okay. the time. This was long about 1977. I, I remember it like it was yesterday because we were playing, it's called the Hopkins Bowl. Right there in Hopkins, mm -hmm. next door, next door to St. Louis Park, where I grew up, and he and he brought me out to the car and he played Prince's demo, and I said, "What is this? This is a really great sounding group. Who's this group?" He goes, "It's not a group." I go, "What do you mean it's not a group?" Yeah. He goes, "It's a guy in the studio doing everything, writing, producing the whole shebang." I go, "What?" 
That's unheard of. That's like Stevie Wonder territory. You know, right. that's like not too many people are doing that in the industry yet. And he goes, he's your age. I go, what do you mean he's my age? He's, you, you guys are the same age. And he can play all the instruments and do everything. I go, that's like unheard of. That's amazing. To, to be at that level of proficiency, playing and doing all this himself. I said, look, let me know what happens with this. What's the plan? He goes, well, we're, I'm like working for his manager right now. Bobby was working for Owen Husney at the time. Uh, so Owen was involved uh, at that early point. On. He was right away. Yeah, early okay. on. At this point in '77, uh, Chris Moon, who had also worked with Prince before mm-hmm. Owen, and, and taught Prince the ropes in the studio and so forth, just basically said, "Here, Prince, you have the keys to my studio. <laughs> nice. I love, I love you. You're talented. I want to work with you. Right. We can work together." So he 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 mentored Prince and um, and then and then Chris introduced him to to uh, Owen and then from there uh, they were getting ready to shop this deal for Prince they were trying to take it to all the labels and they had a team at that point mm. of people like three people that were involved with this and I said well let me know if he gets us if he gets signed and he wants to put a band together I'd love to get in, in, in an audition so fast forward to late 78 after the first album, he got signed, first mm. album's out, everything. And then I, I was calling Owen and Bobby. <laughs> Bet you were. Hey, 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 hey you guys. Remember me? Remember me? I'm, I'm the your guy, cousin. I, I'm no. the guy that you know from when I met you at your house. Okay. So anyway, but Bobby went to my high, our high school was St. Louis Park, and he was two years ahead of me. So that's how I knew him. I, I mean, we were always in touch throughout those years and seeing each other's bands play and all right. that. But uh so yeah, I managed to get in for an audition, and the rest is history. No, you know, what is an audition with a like newly for signed? Yeah, what is that all about? Because I know my experience with an audition <laughs> with Prince. I don't know if the rest of the world knows what it's like to audition, especially when he's this young. He was so young, but very. I, I was still intimidated because I'm thinking to myself, this this guy, he can play fluently on keyboards, bass, drums, you know, everything, guitar. Mm. And I'm and so I walked in there and of course it was like a dream of keyboard stuff in there, keyboard heaven, because he had backing from the label at that point. And they were just, here's some money, Prince, go buy a bunch mm-hmm. of gear, you know. Right. I walk into all this state of the art keyboards and stuff. I, I brought, you know, my And where stuff. was this, by the way? This was in uh, another mentor of Prince's uh, Peppy Willie's basement. Oh my god. Over gosh. by Lake Calhoun, Peppy Willie. Perfect. Of ninety four East fame. If, if any of you out there have heard of the 94 East group mm. and Prince played on a lot of that stuff yeah, when he was he like 16 or years old. Anyway, uh, so that was it. And I walked into the audition. I was like, I was kind of nervous, you know, didn't know what to expect. Uh, he wasn't there right away. And the other keyboard player, Gail Chapman, was there. And she was um, saying things that made me feel kind of nervous. You know, like, you know, Prince really knows what he wants. So just... <laughs> Thanks for He's lot. one of those guys that, he's blah, 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 you know, he's, anyway, <laughs> I was already intimidated. So, um, so he walks in and he introduced himself and he was friendly and everything. And then I said, so what songs are we going to do today for sure? I mean, I, I learned this one and that one and blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, do you know the song So Blue? And I go, So Blue. That's on the first out al- this new album, right? I, I remember the title, but I didn't know I was supposed to learn that. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't worked on that one yet. He goes, "Oh, don't worry about it. There's no keyboards on it anyway." <laughs> <laughs> that was the icebreaker. That was the icebreaker. Oh. 
that's classic. Classic Prince. Oh, yeah. He did, yeah. The, he did something similar for me when I first met him. Yeah. People already know that story. That's funny that he would, he would break the ice like that with you. Yes, him. that's what he did. Huh. And then we, he, of course, like he did with any rehearsal or any sound check or any warm-up before he does anything, he wants to jam and just improv the whole time for like an hour or more mm. and just riff with people and, oh, here's a chord progression. Let's play something with this, blah, blah. So that was it. We didn't go to any, learn any, play any songs yet. Why do you think he did that? That's how he warmed up. He just liked to do that because sometimes uh, an idea would pop up that he could write something to. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That was the other Do you think part of, part of him doing that as well to see how you would gel and what you would play and how you would like that too. fit in? Yeah, he wanted to see if there was any kind of even psychic communication right. possibly. And, For sure. And, you know, visual cues and things, you know, interacting to see how you, you know, dealt with dynamics and things yeah. with, with the improvisational side. So uh, that went really well. And then it came time to play Soft and Wet, which was the first single. And there's this funky clav part on that song. You know, it's like that kind of a rhythm. And you can't hear it real well in the mix. It's kind of buried. So I tried playing it what I could had worked on. And he said, well, that's not quite right. And I go, yeah, I know it's probably not right because... It's hard to hear in the mix. Any chance you could show me what you played? He said, oh, okay. So then he sat there and showed me what he played and for about 10 minutes or so. And then I, I, was, you know, I was close, but it wasn't quite mm. there. And then I was, I was able to learn it on the spot and then do it with him. And that I think that impressed him. Oh, yeah. So, because he said, you know, nobody has had you know, asked me about this. No, none of the keyboard players that have auditioned have nailed that part yet. And you're the only one that asked. Hmm. And I go, okay, well, great. I'm glad you showed it to me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> because, yeah. thanks, you right. know, so that was that. But uh, I think he liked the fact that I was honest and, and said, yeah, I really couldn't hear it properly. Maybe you could help me, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So I think that really impressed him. I think that was, I mean, technically I was, Obviously, he liked what I was doing, but I think that may have sealed the deal for him almost. But I had to wait three weeks for his decision. because they were, You're sitting waiting at home? Three weeks to get an, a yay or nay from him because wow. they were still auditioning more people beyond me. Interesting. And they, didn't, they had been auditioning people ahead of me as well throughout that year. But I don't know. That's all I know. Who called you? I think it was Owen. Get, I think okay. Owen called. To let me know, either Owen or Bobby. And Bobby was already in by this point. Yeah, Bobby had been brought on to be the drummer already. Okay. They had Des Dickerson and, of course, his childhood buddy Andre Anderson slash oh, yeah. Simone mm-hmm. and Gail, who uh, came from Duluth. Got it. Yeah. So you are a young guy. You're in this band. You're you're a guy from the suburbs. Yeah. Prince is this punk funk guy who is pushing the limits of what radio and television are going to accept. Yeah. Right? You're part of this thing now, man. There ain't no backing out. It's ground floor level. How did that all go over? Were you like, what am I doing? Or were you like, 
I'm ready. Oh, no, I was so excited to be a part of it. I Because, you know, when I first bought the first album and, and put it on the turntable at home and listened to that thing, I, I was just flabbergasted just from the opening acapella choir thing that right. he did. This, this mm-hmm. eth- otherworldly, ethereal church thing called For You. Mm. It was just like, who is this? Who does that? Yeah. You know, it was really unique. Very original. You just didn't hear stuff like that. All in falsetto. All in falsetto. You know, just totally on point. You know, Mm. his pitch control was amazing, too. I mean, just live. Anytime. He he very rarely strayed sharp or flat ever. So, no auto-tune for him. No. So, but, yeah, that was really something else. I I was uh, extremely excited to be on board with what he was doing. What were some of the first things that you guys did? Television shows? No, the, the very, or what was it? really the very first gig was uh, the Capri Theater in North Minneapolis, sure. yeah. which was meant to be a showcase for Warner Brothers people. Okay. Fly in from LA and see what the new band was like and see if we had it yet, you know, if we had anything going on. It's early January, colder than you know what. Mm. It's already below zero, and you got these guys coming in from LA, freezing <laughs> oh, their what are their, we doing their asses here? off. And uh, so, the band had only been together for two months. That's it. There was like two months of rehearsal on stuff from the first album. Mm. So, ready or not, we we went in and did it, and it was it, it was okay. But yeah, we needed more time. Got really it. put it together. So they, they said, you know, it, it's a good, good start, but uh, Prince, you you're going to have to do the second album now. Anyway, you have to go in the studio very soon. We want you to start getting that going. Ah. And uh, <clears throat> so the band, you guys just keep working together and get tighter. So it wasn't until summer of '79, I think May, ish. They put us in a rehearsal space over on Lake Street in the old U Warehouse, is what it was called. Okay. And they we had a room upstairs in this concrete bunker. It was so echoey and it was really? just horrible. And uh, yeah, really bad acoustics. So that's where we we rehearsed, and then we rehearsed all summer to do a uh, nightclub showcase tour, like new bands do. They go mm-hmm. out and they play these clubs all across the country mm-hmm. where you, you you're introduced to the public. And, uh, you know, places like The Bottom Line in New York. Oh, yeah. um, We played the Roxy in L.A. Yep. And there's a funny story there on the Roxy gig. We, we, we (laughs) Come on, tell. Tell. (laughs) One of our guitar techs hadn't calibrated the guitar tuner very well. And he'd been smoking something, I don't know. And uh, he tuned the guitars. First chord of the night train wreck oh so we had to start the side i mean they were off by like three steps or so oh with the keyboards you know it was really Ooh, bad it was wee. a nightmare everybody's you know place is packed you got all the warners people there again oh. to see us come back and do our first show after that the other one Clang. yeah and, this, and, then, and then we're playing and the, and des and, and andre and prince are struggling to tune their guitars up while the song is grooving you know so yeah it was a nightmare Oh my god! But, but then then we we went we embarked on this tour starting in L.A. and we got about two thirds of the way through this club tour. I'll never forget playing Old Man Rivers down in 
Louisiana or some place called. Really? Yeah. The name of the club? Yeah, Old Man Rivers. And and the stage wasn't even up anyway. It was on a level with the audience, and there was like like what looked like a picket fence in front of where the band played, or like a wooden fence of some kind with a, with a gate. So you had to, and there was no dressing room nearby. So in order to do anything, you had to like walk through the audience and come back. And it was really funny. And then a gate, you know. And it, was he wearing his, you know? Oh, he had the outfit he, at that time? No, back then uh, he was wearing like gold lame tight, you know, pants and got it. Uh, you know, uh, leopard skin shirts and you know he's he was mm -hmm. trying to go for that kind of rock disco look. Got it. In those days, and I wasn't even the doctor yet. I was just some guy wearing a uh, a paratrooper's jumpsuit or something. You know, I had I had I hadn't even gone into. You hadn't gotten near the doctor identity. I wasn't even the jailbird guy. On okay, the, wait now. You, you know. might as well tell us about. The doctor. How did you? How did that all work? And tell me about the jailbird thing too. Oh well, well we did. We did. Uh, after all the showcase, we had. To, first of all, we had to cancel three shows at the end of the showcase club tour because he got laryngitis. He got oh. sick, and then he just said, "You know what? I, I don't want to make up those dates. We're just cancel. We're done. Blah blah. Let's move on." So that's when his management procured an opening slot for Rick James' tour at that time, which was called the Fire It Up tour. Totally based on marijuana smoke and everything else. And Rick was huge. He at was this huge time. at that time. He was selling out yeah. arenas everywhere. So we had this great opportunity to be seen by the Rick James fan base. And so we got out there, and uh, I was wearing a jail suit at that time. You just said, I think that I'll wear, I'll wear a jail suit because it looks cool with keyboards, you know, okay. black and white keys. That's how that was my logic, okay. You know, plus it, it harkened back to jailhouse rock and right back in those days. <clears throat> and uh, so we're out on the road, we're about three shows into the tour, and Rick James is doing this song called Busting Out of L7, which was on one of his albums at the time. It might have been the that fired up, whatever. I, I don't know if it was the current record or the previous one. Mm -hmm. So he, he has a jail suit, he comes out and he tears the jail suit off in the middle of the song, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, Prince says, you're gonna have to change your look because the headliner, i.e. Rick James, is wearing a jail suit. I go, but, what are the odds? Huh? But what are, what the, are odds? the odds? What are the odds that he's wearing a jail suit? So I said, I, okay, I really don't wanna have to change it up, but he, since you're insisting, I, I guess I will. He says, what was your other choices for your stage look? You know. Mm -hmm. He always wanted to be quirky. He said, Matt, I want you to be the quirky guy. You okay. Be quirky. You're kind of a funny guy, quirky. Yeah. I go, okay. So the second choice was a dude in a, in a doctor's scrub suit. But I thought that was too bland compared to the black and white stripe thing, you know? Yeah. And Prince said, you know, that could work. I, I kind of think that's different. Let's, let's try that. I'll send our wardrobe gal out and yeah. get you all the accoutrement. For being a doctor, so they showed it up. It is that, perfect for and you. It, it did work I mean, out well. Yeah, my mom always wanted me to be a doctor. <laughs> you know, so mom, I, I did what you asked I, me. I, 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 you know, so <laughs> that is great. so. So that was it. So the uh, but they they had all the accessories with the you know the surgeon cap, the, the you know the sterile cap, and the uh, the little light reflector thing, right? And a stethoscope and the mask and all that. And then Prince says, you know, you're already wearing the bug eye glasses. Let's have you wear, come out on stage wearing the mask over your face so you're completely covered. Yeah. And, they, and they'll just go, wow, who is... And I looked like 
some guy out of a horror movie. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The the scary doctor with who who wears sunglasses in the operating theater, you know. <laughs> Evidently, the funky doctor. And, does. And apparently, yeah. So that was that, and then uh, of course I couldn't keep the mask on very long because my glasses would steam up. Of course. So I couldn't see. I was struggling to see while I'm playing, and yeah. I, you know. So I had to. T I said, Prince, I can't wear that the whole show. He goes, well, Take it off after a couple songs. I go, Okay, bye. And then he said to me, Now I have this great idea. I'm going to put an artist's painter's easel up on stage next to you, so that when and, and when I introduce you, I want you to be painting. What? Yeah, every go to yeah, exactly. What? I went what? <laughs> He goes, I want you to pretend like you're painting. Or actually, you'll, you'll have some paint up there and you'll start painting. But I'm a doctor. Shouldn't I have like a scalpel? You know, he goes, ah. Yeah. No, no, we're, we're going to try this and see what the audience does. I go, okay. Well, that confused the audience like I ex expected it would. Mm -hmm. And then Prince realized that that was not one of his better ideas. <sighs> and then he, he uh, said no to that. And of course, uh, I said, I have a better idea. I go, he goes, what? They take my picture, they take our pictures all the time. I'm going to have my little camera up there. I'm going to take a shot of the audience each time you introduce me. He goes, perfect. And that that worked like a charm. The audience went nuts for that. Huh? They loved the fact that I was taking a picture of them. It was the first selfie. Sure. Did you, kind of do you have any of these I pictures? I have them all no, from that you, tour. You should have a book. I have all the pictures. That's your book? Yeah. That's it, okay. right there. Okay. I want 50%. Are you hearing this, people? Uh, no. <laughs> really, that would be fascinating. Honestly, yeah, yeah. that would be so cool with little yeah. stories about what you remember of these tours. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So at this point now, you were, I see a couple of records in. This at is this the point. second album at this point. How is, be your lover how is this whole camp changing and progressing? I mean, are things, is his music changing? Uh, is he changing? What's going on with this camp? Yeah, everybody's trying to find their niche, you know, within the group and their look in particular. Because looks were important in those days, mm -hmm. and, you know, how you presented yourself. Right. So that was always being developed during that time, during that tour. You know. Got it. Now, when did the time start coming along? They were... Was that 80? Like, that was the controversy era. Okay. Like 81, just like right when the third album, which was Dirty Mind, yep. uh, came out, that's when he started to work on time material and get so it. So he didn't have any other side projects prior to that, or did he? There was one side project that he did with us, with the first band, which uh, before Lisa Coleman was, you know, like I mentioned before, and he called it The Rebels, and it was the summer of... I'm trying to remember if he did it before or after the Rick James tour. That's the thing. I can't remember. It might have been 79 even mm. that summer, too, we did this. So we went out to this new studio in Boulder, Colorado called uh, Mountain Air Studios. Brand new facility. Beautiful. Big, big studio. And he just said, We're, I, I want to do a, a, another album with you guys, but call it something else. Mm. And I go, really? How, how, what's the label going to do with that? He goes, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll make it happen. I go, do you mean you want to put out a separate album called The Rebels, which is us, but not your backup, backup band for Prince? Yeah. You want, he goes, yeah. I go, that'll be interesting. Yeah. 
So huh. we went we went we went out there for a week and recorded a whole album. Everybody had songs and we were playing on each other's stuff and doing that. That's still out bootleg copies are Is out it, there. I gotta hear that. Called the Rebels, yeah. Really? There's one song that Andre did that's like my favorite thing on there called Thrill You Kill You. It's funkier than funk. I mean really? and it's so good. Huh. Great track. I've never heard that story of that. Oh, you haven't heard about this project. yet, have no. you? Yeah, well, that's because Warner Brothers put the, put the kibosh on <laughs> Did they it. Never, no, oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. They pretty no, stuck it to the Warner's people, and they went, what are you doing? You're not ready to do this. What What are you thinking? Yeah, concentrate on me. But, you yeah, first, but, but right? Prince, Prince was so ahead of himself. I mean, he, as you know, I mean, he's such mm. a genius. So then he thought, okay, so if I can't do the Rebels, I'm going to do something else. And then that's when the time idea hit. Aha. Uh-huh. And then Vanity Six, of course. So, so the side projects came in a little bit later. Yeah, but not much. You know, okay. really, 81, that's only a couple years into to his... Uh, so where was the Stones opening slot? Was that around that same era? Dirty Mind. Okay. Album was out. Just had just come Tell out. Tell me about the infamous... The infamous... The booing of this... <laughs> get off the stage. The, the, the infamous Rolling Stones audience. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay, well... From your perspective. My perspective yeah. was... Uh... We're going to take a little break from the interview right now because I want to tell you about a couple of really cool things. First of all, we're having so much fun with our weekly one-minute funk jams called Funk Friday. We've had so many world-class musicians on Funk Friday, including members of the Steve Miller Band, Fleetwood Mac, Daryl Hall and John Oates, Earth, Wind and Fire, just to name a few. You can check that out on all of our social media, but you can also see it on our YouTube channel. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our members who have supported us on Patreon. Don't know what Patreon is? Go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast, and there you'll get all sorts of information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast. There are all kinds of incentives listed there on the website, and there are many different levels on how you can become involved. We could not put on this podcast without our patrons. All right, let's get back to the interview. From your perspective. My perspective was... uh, you get on stage. First of all, you're you're just like, I can't believe, can you pinch me? I'm at the LA Coliseum about to play in front of 90,000 right. people opening for the Rolling Stones yeah. because Mick Jagger liked Prince. Wow. It was it was actually Mick who got turned on to Prince and thought, I want to give this kid a big break because mm-hmm. he's so amazing. So I got to, I want to help him. So he called Prince personally and said, you want, in management, and they said, we want you to open for this, these big stadium dates. Right. All over the country, so we were just like pinching ourselves. Go yeah. really? So I'm backstage. Uh, everybody and his mom in Hollywood is there. You know, people you've only imagined, dreamed of meeting or seeing in person. And uh, so there I am, get on stage, not knowing what to expect. I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. Half hour set, twenty whatever is twenty five minutes. We go out, we play, blah blah blah. It's going to be a gas, right? Yeah. We get up there, and the sun is still up. Of course, it's like. Three in the afternoon, we're the first act, you know, and then, then George right. Thorogood came on, uh, Jay Giles' band, and then, oh. and then the Stones after the sun went down. Although I think, I think Jay Giles made it just at sunset. But anyway, 
we're up there. We're about maybe the first, just the, I remember the first song pretty much we started playing and, and the middle fingers went up from the audience. <laughs> You're number one. They're like, like the, the whole, like I'd say a good half, 50% of the people in this audience up front. I don't know how far back it went with the, with the fingers, but the fingers went up and, you know, they were just like angry. Who is this motherfucker? Really? Who are these people? They are just atrocious. We don't like them. Yeah. We're, we're probably racist. Oh. And God knows. And I, I completely blew me. It blew my mind because not only were they flipping us the bird, the food started flying. No. <laughs> then the food and the cups and the bottles. You know, oh yeah, I saw a fifth of whiskey bottle empty, graze Prince's face like this. Ooh, it went, wee. just like that. That close. I'm not kidding. And then Man. I I got hit with a crumpled Coca Cola cup, like a large one of those big ones, yeah, you know, big gulp or something. Yeah, it was probably that big of a wad. And went, you know, right there. Good it's, thing you're a doctor. And it stung like it's you know it stung yeah, it. They, they threw it hard. So we're about three songs in at this point to the set, and and Prince he doesn't know what to do. He's he's at a loss. He's like panicking, I think, inside, or he's just he's he's in shock, really, because yeah. we, as we all were, we thought, what? Wait a minute, this isn't supposed to happen. Who does that? Yeah. So he literally walked off stage. He just left. He left us. Literally in mid song. And what were you doing? Playing a song. You were vamping. We're Go vamping. We're vamping. And it's like, where'd Prince go? He just let, he didn't even tell us he was gonna leave either. I, I don't know, maybe he said something to Des, but next wow. thing I know, he's out of there. Des signaled the end of the song without vocals, and then that was it. And then we left. And then we said, Where'd Prince go? They go, he's already on his way to the airport. I go, What? He's flying back home. <laughs> I go, you're kidding me. He, he says he's done. He's not going to do any more of these dates. So Management. you were lined up to do way oh, more a bunch of shows. Dates? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Stadium, indoor dome stadiums and outdoor, you know, with the stone. And then, so we're, we're just in shock over this. We can't figure out for the life of me. I, I thought that, A, this would be a 60s, 70s, more hippie-oriented, peace-loving right. crowd. Like, yeah. You know, but I completely forgot that they had this whole faction of Hell's Angels people that worked for them and were their security. And there was right. a whole faction of God knows what there could have been white supremacists out there, oh. you know. So it was just really weird. So, yeah, let's let's get the, uh, the black and the Jews up there. <laughs> oh, look at that. Hey, oh. look at this well, mixed race like band. We can't have that. Anyway, go ahead. What? No. You touched on something there that, of course, because yeah. of the day and age that we live in, mm -hmm. it's super important. How much of that did you get, you personally, and what did you see that Prince received as far as that kind of uh, treatment? You know, I didn't see it very much at all, ever. Okay. And, uh, and of course, you know, growing up, growing up when, in St. Louis Park, uh, I saw anti-Semitism there. Yeah. Um, and we had literally had one black guy in my high school. Yeah. Growing up. So I, I just wasn't exposed to uh, African Americans very much until I worked with Prince. Right. So, you know, it's just one of those 
things um, because we are segregated at that time. And, and as was the, the airwaves, you know, you, right. things couldn't get played locally on the main stations. There mm -hmm. was one station playing R&B pop and that was KMOJ. KMOJ. So that was it. Well, now eventually he broke through, but you know, Michael Jackson was the first artist to cross over and big in that way. And then that paved the way for Prince with songs like 1999, etc. Right. But still, it's just, it's a crime. You know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. As we all know, how, how it's that funny stuff for me. Works. I think music has <clears throat> been such a uniter through all of time. Yeah, and and I know for us, it's just like we don't. It's, it's a matter. The question is, can you play? The question is, are you Jewish or are you black or are you brown or whatever? Are you Catholic? Why are you what? It's can you play? Can you play? Right. And, and are you a good hang? Right. It's all it is. End of story. I wish we could give that kind of mojo. To the whole to the world. world. Yeah, absolutely. Know. I think things are, have improved, though. I think things have gotten better. Except so for Kanye. Except for, yeah, that's, well, that's a, he needs some better medication. Maybe so. Anyway, let's not talk about Kanye. Yeah, let's see, we're, we're done. We, we're, so let's get, let's get back in the rehearsal hall. Yeah. This interview could be six hours, yes. but I don't, I don't want to do that to you. I'll let you. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Rehearsals, we touched on that earlier. Mm -hmm. especially a little bit later on in the career, getting towards 1999 and Purple Rain. The MO for rehearsals was to always jam. Yeah. And you had said that some of these jams would turn out as songs yeah, or the would, next day. Yeah, well, yeah, they could be turned into a song. How does that work? Well, I, well for, work? for instance, the song Dirty Mind, which I have a, a piece of the, the writing of the music on that, um, it was at a jam. This was probably 1980-ish, early okay. 80. And he just said, uh, I, I like this idea. Let, come over to the house tonight. I want to work on this. I said, okay. So we went over there, and he, he literally laid down the bass and the drums. Actually, there was no bass on that one. It was all keyboard bass. But I did the main keyboard riff with him. He was on drums. And then uh, he, he had a guitar. And then I did a synthesizer solo. And then he sent me home. Next morning, he showed up with the song done. <laughs> As he often did. As he often did, with yeah. the vocal and everything. And then he said, I think this is going to be the title track to the next album. And I went, really? And you got credit. I did, yes. Yeah. That's really good to hear. Yes. Name some of the parts that we may not know that you came up with that are super incredibly popular <laughs> in the Prince world. Uh, okay, Computer Blue. That song was sort of, I planted a seed of the groove for that one okay. on the Purple Rain album. And then he built the song around that. Um, I just had, you know, a fifth of it because other people were brought yeah. in and co-wrote. And then there was, uh, uh, It's Gonna Be a Beautiful Night, off mm -hmm. the Sign of the Times. 17 Days was a group effort by Prince and the Revolution, as was America. Okay. So those were, those were all the songs I had a, a, a hand in. And then, but I did a lot of session work on songs where I didn't get right. Those are writing credit songs, but songs where I played on things. I can't well, remember one of the, everything. One of the, I, well, I think one of the other day when we were doing a gig, you said that... Um, the Purple the, Rain? The end of Purple Rain. Yeah, the, the big vocal part, the woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, so how big, did that happen? The big anthemic thing. Yeah. There was just me playing that line on the piano while we were jamming on the chord mm -hmm. progression the first day he brought it in for us to work on it with him. Huh. And I was... 
playing. I just suddenly I was jamming and started yeah. playing that that line, and then he started singing it, and then right. it became part of the song. Right. And that's probably more of an arrangement. Yeah. Than a song ready thing, so you don't have any problem. No, with that. but but he's still, you know, for the revolution at that time, he he said, you know, I, I'm because you guys contributed to things on these on this project, I, I'm going to give you artist royalties. Wow. Which was very generous of him, and you know. Sure was. Things like that. So let's jump back a little bit now. Once Prince had created, by the way, that is fantastic to hear. I think that's mm -hmm. really important for, for not only Prince fans to hear, but for everybody to hear that if you wrote something, you got a, a taste of it. So that's good. So let's go back to the time, because I'm curious. This is where I kind of enter the picture. And I was, I was green, and I was watching all you veterans who had been out there. Before I got there, there was some tension that between the time and maybe Prince, oh. <laughs> uh, simply because I think there was more, more made up, but then it became a reality of, of who was going to kick whose butt that night out on tour. So you had this family of people, the time, Jimmy, Terry, Monty, right. Bean, Jerome, Morris, uh, and then you, and this is an entity that Prince created. Yeah. And then you got you guys. Tell me, give me one instance of how these practical jokes and things that would go back and forth. Well, first of all, it, it, the time became Prince's Frankenstein monster. Aha. Uh -huh. And then he realized, oh my gosh, I, I, A, I wrote this stuff for these guys. Yeah. But now they're coming out on stage and just kicking our butt <laughs> every night on the on the 1999 tour. It was called the Triple Threat Tour. It was the Vanity Six, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, the Time and us. So they they were you know they Prince was having a problem with that apparently. But at the end of that tour, uh, things got out of hand and there was a full on food fight that took place. Do tell. Yep. It uh, it kind of started with uh, Morris and and uh, Jesse Johnson came over to our dressing room and started, you know, taunting us a little bit. For oh, some is that reason. right? I don't know why they did that. I just know they came down and did something. And then Bobby threw a banana at him to get him to leave. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're throwing stuff at us and turned into the food fight. Food fight. So it it that night, it it. it it got kind of out of hand. And then the next night, which was the final night of the tour, mm -hmm. they decided to just continue the food fight backstage. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, they even had eggs. Oh. They had everything. I mean, and then and then our management people thought, well, okay, that, that's it. We're ordering a bazillion cream pies. And they brought those in for the end of the show. And we were able to just have a massive, <laughs> full-on Hollywood, <laughs> Laurel and Hardy pie fight in the locker room in this arena, hockey arena. No way. Yeah, for real. You had to be careful because the floor got covered. Of and course. You were slipping and sliding Slip, yeah. in, the, exactly. in the cream pies, and yeah, it was uh, it was real. It was the real deal. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so Jimmy and Terry basically got fired. They were asked to leave the band. That's where I came came in with Jerry Hubbard, Rocky Garrity. Um, and, um, oh, why am I having trouble remember? Mark Cardenas. Mark, I love you. I just couldn't remember. It happens when you reach 58. <laughs> I hate that one. Mark in, in Seattle. He's, he is in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. 
the dynamic of that band changed dramatically. I mean, is that something that you felt? Because I felt quite separated from you guys just simply because we were. Yeah. Um, but is that something, what was that to look at? Was that disappointing that that whole thing went down? Yeah, I, was, I personally yeah. was <clears throat> disappointed. Um, I wasn't disappointed that you had the opportunity, no. of course. But um, I thought the decision to let Jimmy and Terry go was not really logical to me mm -hmm. at the time. I thought, okay, they were in Atlanta at the time producing the SOS band. Right. And then they had to get on a plane to make it to the, a time gig the, that night, I think it was. And there was a snowstorm which in Atlanta, if you get two inches, you're done. You're done, you get, yeah, you're yeah exactly. stupid. It's like yeah. they don't know what to do. Help me, guys. <laughs> so <clears throat> they missed the flight. And I remember that evening, uh, Prince and Lisa filled in on keys mm. for them. And bass. Prince right. played bass and Lisa did some key stuff. Right. I did a little bit, but I didn't know enough of their material to where I could really nail it the whole show. And um, so... I thought, what well, you know, okay, it, it was an act of God. They didn't do it on purpose. They were mm -hmm. trying to get to, it's not like they like left you in a lurch because they didn't want to be there. Right. But, but to fire them, I thought at that point, just for that minor of a thing where, okay, they couldn't help it. So I don't know. I never understood the logic of that. Yeah. Why, why Prince uh, fired them at that time. Yeah, I was always curious it. about that as well. It didn't make sense to me, huh. but I didn't, I didn't say, hey, Prince, why'd you do that? You know, I suppose it wasn't your place to no. question his decisions no. like that. No. Okay, so I'm I'm coming into this band. We idolize all you guys, by the way. So it was super fun to watch this, and we get thrown into the making of this little thing called Purple Rain. Did you have any idea that Purple Rain was going to turn into this cult classic, favorite rock and roll movie of all time? Did you have a feeling about it, or because he was on? such a role or like, eh, well, I guess boss just wants to do this. I'll play along, whatever. It was both. Okay. The, the boss wants to do this, I'll play along. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Cash that check. Yeah, but also uh, believing in it mm, at course. the same time. But trepidation was in, in there as well. I thought, oh boy, this is, could be make or break time mm -hmm. for him. Uh, so I was concerned. Yeah, about it, and and so was rightly so the record label because his his management people, uh, Cavallo Ruffalo Farnoli, uh, really believed in it and wanted to do it, you know. But they didn't want to necessarily bankroll it. Right. They wanted Warner's to bankroll it. Warner said no, and then they the proposal was, well, how about if we kick in half and you kick in half or some a certain I don't remember the exact deal how it went down, but. They managed to persuade Warners to take the risk mm. and do it. So you know, it, it was about that close to not happening. It was you know, there I were moments when it when it may have been you know put on hold. So they they made it happen, <clears throat> and um, the rest is history, of course. But you know, in hindsight, you know, when I look at the movie, I mean, it, it it's flawed, of course. There's you know, but. But, but for a, a freshman effort on Prince's part yeah. to be doing a rock and roll fantasy film like that, uh, based on loosely on his life, mm -hmm. was amazing. So they pulled it off. Favorite moment of the Purple Rain tour for you? Favorite moment? Is there one or oh, a couple um, that you can think of? My, I liked when, when we would be like 
like in L.A. in particular, doing the shows at the forum the college, at the forum, and and uh, different people would come up and sit in with us. You know, like Springsteen. And, I was and there Sting. for that one. Were you there? I was there for Springsteen. Yeah. Springsteen, Sting, Madonna, Huey Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember everybody, but everybody and their mom was coming to the shows and or coming backstage. And I'll never forget what, seeing Elizabeth Taylor in the front row, clamoring for Prince. Really? Clamoring for him, like like she was like, in you know the biggest Prince fan. And you know we all know she loved Michael Jackson too. Yeah. Was like best buddies but but for prince too she was just like gaga do you know what i remember from the forum so those that was fun yeah along those lines what i remember about the forum show being backstage is um gentleman came up to me and shook my hand and said shake my hand he said this uh my name is ringo this is my wife Barbara." i just about went oh do you remember meeting ringo i never got to meet you never got to meet i got to meet ringo and you didn't get to meet ringo i never got to meet ringo Oh my god. Unfortunately. But they were there. Like when we played Wembley in London, they Ringo and Paul were back for there. But I didn't wow. meet them. I heard they were sitting there and, and I, I mean, Springsteen yeah. was there one night too and at, at Wembley. But no, I met okay. Springsteen more than once and actually had hmm. sit down conversations with him, as well as Eddie Murphy. He was a huge fan. He used oh, to sure come was. backstage. Yeah. Uh, Stevie Wonder would come back and hang a little bit and Quincy Jones. <laughs> That's my dude. Quincy, Quincy Oh, cool. Quincy, yeah. Uh, Quincy used to fly to Minneapolis just to get, you know, Rudolph's barbecue and take it back on the plane with him. Really? That's what he told me, yeah. When he, or when he was here working with Bruce Sweden here at this studio. This studio time, where we're at, at yeah, Creation Audio. Yeah. One of That's the founders was, uh, yeah. worked with Michael Bruce Sweden was yeah, Michael Swedeen. Jackson's uh, yeah. engineer. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we're fast forwarding now <coughs> because um, we're coming up on the 40 minute mark. Oh, sorry. No, we should. No, okay. this is great stuff. Okay, Are okay. you kidding? This okay. is two old buddies hanging <laughs> oh, yeah, out. Okay. Don't be sorry. This okay. is awesome. Okay. Um, when did things start changing with the revolution? When did you go, uh oh, our little family here is, I feel a little something going on. And, and how did that all transpire from the beginning of that feeling? Till the band was no longer the revolution. Well, I, I was kind of, I wasn't really privy to all the machinations that were going on between Prince and Wendy and Lisa at the time, because they were working heavily on the Parade album. You know, I played a little bit on that record, but uh, I was a newlywed and Prince oh, knew okay. this. He wasn't really bugging me too much to come in and work. Uh, in the studio, but he was relying on Wendy and Lisa for a lot of stuff. And then they felt like they were, you know, on call 24-7 and they needed a break. Yeah. They'd been working for quite a while and then he he said to them, no, I don't want you to go home yet because they wanted to get out of town and go back to L.A. and he wouldn't let them go. Hmm. So they had kind of a row about that amongst some other things which I can't get into. No, that's fine. But, uh, that's when it kind of started at that point, yeah. And then they, they had a falling out about wow. some issues. And uh, they quit literally two weeks before the European parade tour that we were supposed to do Europe and Japan that year, and starting in September of 1986. So they left the group. And the next day, Prince uh, had management, you know, persuade them to stay on after they'd had their 
you know, issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they said, okay, because it basically was, hey, you got a whole crew of people and other bandmates and other people, you know, if you leave now, that tour is going to get canceled. A lot of people's livelihoods will be right. upended. So they realized that they, they couldn't make that rash of a decision like that, you know, and have that happen. So they, they stayed on. But that was the crack in the foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how long before they were gone, Bobby was gone, Mark was gone? Well... Because you stayed on. Yeah, so this was September of 86 when that happened. And then by November, uh, Prince decided to let them go. And Bobby, all, all in one foul swoop. Whoa. Yeah. That must have been heavy. It was heavy for me because, you know, I was very close to them and... Uh, I did my best to persuade Prince not to follow through with that idea, yeah. but he made up his mind and and basically said, uh, you know, I would understand if you left too because of this, but you can stay on if you choose to at this point. And you did. Yeah. I stayed Why on. Why did you stay? Well, because I loved my job. I really didn't want to leave. I had no reason to leave. I, I certainly didn't have any... Uh, Issues with Prince. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought, well, if I quit just because he's firing my bandmates, what am I going to do? True. You know, what? where do I go from here? It's a yeah. little scary, too. So I just wanted to stay on, and then I became a part of the new power generation for the first four years of that. You were in the new power the generation. The very first version of it. Yeah. And Madhouse, I might That's add. That's right, and I did the Madhouse right. tour of 87 with my dear buddy, Eric Leeds. That was after I had just left. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and he joined the new, the new Power Generation. No, he joined the Revolution. He was with the Revolution first. for a little while. That's right. On the parade tour. And even on, he was, was coming up even during the Purple Rain tour to perform right. mm -hmm. at that point. But from there... Uh, How long did you stay on then? Just four more, you know, to the end of 1990. Okay. Yeah. Let, tell me what life is like or was like for you after you left the band? What does that look like? You're, you're touring for 11 years or 12 years or something like that, and then it's like, yeah. Yeah. Did you, I mean, obviously from your bio that I read earlier tonight, you found different ways to win, you reinvented yourself, but how was that adjustment period for you? It was actually pretty good. <clears throat> I okay. liked it. I liked, I liked have decompressing after all those years of touring and stuff. What did you do? I just uh, stayed home. Okay. And, and, and <laughs> Bet then, you did. And then got married and had kids. Okay. Which I wanted to do. And yeah. I didn't want to be on the road a lot anymore. I wanted to raise the kids and be real hands-on. So you trans transitioned parent. into studio owner, Starview, and uh, was the other name of the studio that you had? The Operating Room. The Operating Room. It was room. first called The Operating Room. Yes. Then when I moved, we changed it to Starview, uh, and now it's back to the operating room again. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Then you were an executive for KTEL Records for a while? And Just a staff to... producer. You know, so doing... you did more of that kind of thing, and you produced also for some video games, is that right? Yes. A few video game companies. There's a video game company here called uh, King Show Games. Which, or no, Head Games Publishing, I'm sorry. King Show Games was another company. Mm. Head games uh, was just PC sports games and stuff like that, and did we did a, some haunted house game, was right? Something like that. I did. I worked there for a while. Then they got bought out by Activision, 
uh, did a little bit of work for them. And then I moved on to um, doing slot machine video game music. sound effects and music. Yeah. But that was much later. That was like in 2008 through 2012. Like right. That era. But you've always found... A niche of some kind, yeah. These little niches. Yeah. Your advice, as, as younger folks might be listening to this, Adi probably wants to hear this stuff. After having such a tremendous high like that, how do you continually navigate this crazy music business and succeed? What do you, what do you have to say to yourself every morning you wake up, man? Is it a personality thing? Is it a work ethic thing what is it that has kept you in this business for this long how the hell have you done it i don't know <laughs> that's a, really, really to be honest with you i don't know because there have been ups and downs obviously yeah. during that during that tenure time during that time so it's just uh you just have to keep plugging away you know and find different things yeah to do what you've you know, done you have to network with people you know, it's very important, a lot of networking. So you got back into playing with the Purple Experience. This Purple Experience, for those of you who don't know, is actually a tribute band yeah, to Prince. Yeah, Prince Tribute Act, yeah. So that's kind of a controversial thing you did there. And this is when Prince was still alive. Why did you do that? Because uh, someone offered me the job. They, okay. they, you know, some I was I did I had done some special event for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with some other musicians, right? And then they they said, uh, "Hey, we've uh, been bandying about this idea of doing a tribute act because that's when tribute acts were starting to really take mm -hmm. off. There was already one big Prince tribute act called Vegas. Purple Rain in Vegas, which had been they you know they were on freaking David Letterman. They in were 07. great. I remember that. Yeah, they like they had band tribute band right. week on David Letterman right. when they, they performed. And I, I, I got kind of mad, actually, watching that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I bet you did. Yeah. <laughs> Their guys are doing our thing. Right. So <clears throat> I, when, when, when the idea came up, at first I said no. I didn't think it was a good idea for me because I knew it would ruffle feathers. Mm -hmm. that, that it would, it would uh, my former bandmates probably would look down on it as Prince would. Mm -hmm. And I was right. In fact, I really tried to communicate with Prince because when I made the decision to, to do it, uh, basically, basically, my wife said, you should do it. You should just get out and play again. It'll be fun. Well, so what? You're just going to you know, play your old songs again and make a little extra money. It's a financial thing, right. too. And I thought, okay. And you've got a kid. And you and have I've a wife at this two point. Kids, two boys. Two, okay, two and kids I thought, by yeah, that you know, we, I needed to increase the income at that time. Sure. And uh, so I, I, I tried to get a hold of Prince, and I couldn't even get through to him. Because I wanted to say, hey, I, there's this idea on the table. I want to make sure you know right. before I do it. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to say yay or nay to it, and I fully expect him to say, don't do that. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. But it, his people were so guarding, guarded. I mean, you couldn't get, I couldn't, me personally, I couldn't even get through to him. This was in 2010, late 2010. I could not get him on the phone. Huh. It was the weirdest thing. Wow. They, they just said, they said, you're, uh, we know who you are, yeah, we know who you are. Uh, but unless we know in advance that he's expecting your call. But I need to schedule a call with him. I need, I need you to tell him, right. you tell him, yeah. I need to speak to him. Right. And they just, they, didn't, they dropped the ball. So he didn't give his blessing or his 
no, construction to stop doing Yeah, but doing fast it. forward to 2014, and then he called me in for a meeting to talk about it. Oh, finally. he did, did he? Yeah, he did. And then, I, and then he, he didn't want me to do it and wanted me to stop. And, and I said, but uh, we're helping your brand. It's not any, you know, we're, mm. and we're playing in markets that you never went to. I mean, a lot of people are very happy to have us play because right. they never saw you live or they couldn't afford to see you live. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they always were very grateful that we were there playing. Right. In some of these cities, you know, smaller towns, smaller, 100,000 people, maybe 80, mm-hmm. 60, you know, all these smaller. Right. And uh, so then he said, well, I suppose you can do it as long as you tell your guy not to dress like me, your front man. Right. Because he was doing the costuming mm-hmm. first. Right. You know, and I said, well, I don't, can't guarantee that. I mean, it's, right. you know, I can certainly ask him. So that was where it ended. And he just, he didn't give me a yeah or nay. He didn't say, you got to, he wanted me to stop. And, but I just kept going because it, it, it said, it, it's only helping you. Yeah. It's only helping you. And you did that for a period of time, but you stopped doing that for a while. And yeah. they continued on and they're doing very well. And yeah. And I, and, and well, when the revolution reunited after he passed away, um, I, it was too difficult to do both anyway. Of course. So, you know, yeah. Do the revolution and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about Prince passing and we, we have to get to this. Mm-hmm. Where were you? How did you find out? Well, I, I was at my office downtown that day. I was, I was working for a company that I still work for part-time called ADX Labs. And... Uh, I was, we were in the music side of things mm-hmm. for that company. And so I, I had a friend of mine who lived uh, in Chanhassen called me up and told me there was a news report that somebody had passed at Paisley Park. And I went, uh-oh. Yeah. Do we have any confirmation who it is? He goes, no. I go, great. And uh, so I was really like worried. And then about a half hour later, he called me back and said, it's official. Oh. I go, I go, so it's Prince. He goes, yeah. I go, how'd you find out? He goes, I know the sheriff. Oh. It's not even in the media yet. You're the mm. first person I called to tell. Oh, my. So I knew before it was even announced mm. anywhere. So that was that, that weird moment you have when a family member passes away and you're in yeah. shock. And yeah. You, you just, everything like stands still and you, you can't think mm. straight. The rest of the day was shot. Of course. I was done. And then the worst part of it all is I had to play the next evening with the Purple Experience outside of Chicago at a theater. No. We had a gig. And the band is calling me up going, what do you want to do? I mean, this, is, this isn't good. Do, do you, we should cancel. I go, we got to cancel. Yeah. And then I called our booking agent and the theater guy, the head of the theater. They said, no, you can't. I mean, you're under contract, and mm. um, we can't do it, and it's it's almost sold out. Blah 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 blah. <clears throat> so I went back to the band. I go, I go. I know this. You're not going to like this decision, but we got to do the show. So we did. How was that? It was really weird. Yeah. It was weird, but the audience wanted it. They yeah. were. They knew he had passed, and they they were definitely wanting to hear the music. At that point, was that a? Do you think that was healing not only for you but for that audience? Yeah, I think so. 
tell me a little bit about the conversation about getting the revolution back together after Prince's passing. How did that come about? Well, initially, uh, we just wanted to do a few shows in September at First Avenue here in mm -hmm. town and, you know, do a tribute to him and all that. And then once we saw how well that went, then everybody was like, hmm, yeah, maybe we should do more yeah. to bring that to the fans and heal, help the healing of the fans. And that's where, where it just went from there. It's hard to do the revolution without your lead singer, though. Yeah, but, but it's hard to do Queen without their lead singer, too. Oh, no question. Any band, you know, anybody that's of out course. there doing that stuff. But we managed to, to, to do it. In, in I mean, between Mark, Wendy, Stokely. Did you have any others? No. Singers other than that? Never. Yeah. I mean, I think at that point, you were doing that as much for each other as you were for the fans. Would right. you agree with that? Yeah. What was it like getting back together with everybody? It was great. I mean, I we, we, did it, we did it one other time at the end of 03, was it? We did a the forum in LA. The, yeah, you were there. I was on that. You were there. Yeah, with a little with, Angel Buddy Foundation for yeah, Sheila Eve. Sheila Eve's thing. So that was the other time we had reunited since the breakup of the band. And after that one, everybody was excited. Oh, we got to do we more. Tour. I we got to do more yep. of these, you know. But it, it just was too difficult for everybody. Yeah. So Maybe. what? The revolution is on a little bit of a hiatus right now. Is that right? Yeah. The girls are working. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing right now. Is that right? Yeah. Good, because I can steal you for a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've been having a lot of fun playing together. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. Tell me what else is on the horizon for you, Matt. What do you got in the works? Uh, well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was working for a, a music-oriented company, although they're a tech company. They have other technical and software-based products they do, but there was a, a wing to the company that was uh, doing a streaming service and a small record label. So that's going to start ramping up again soon, mm -hmm. but we had to temporarily shut things down due to the COVID pandemic. Wasn't COVID fun? Yeah, a lot of fun. <whistles> a lot of fun. The first, no, the first out of the, uh, you know, out of work and the last to be back. Yeah. And then I, I just want to mention my son, Max. Oh, yeah. My Tell me about son. what your kids are doing. He, yeah, my oldest son is in L.A., and he's uh, an aspiring producer, songwriter he's as well. really good, too. Yeah, and he's doing some... What does, what does he go by? He goes by the stage name of Max Millie. Okay. And that's spelled, Check it out. And it's spelled M-V-X-M-I-L-L-I. -L -L -I. Okay. And uh, so he's been working with... Uh, Quite a number of different people out there. I can't keep track of it all. Oh, I bet. So he's, you know, <laughs> he's just doing, he's working on different projects. And uh, so we'll see how that transpires. And you've been married to Andrew for how long? 30? 28 years. Is it 28? Yeah. That was 30. Not quite. 29? We you just better, had our. You better get we this just, right now. <laughs> wait, wait. We just had our. 29th anniversary. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, right. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you better get that one right. Yeah, but we've been together for 32 years. Mm-hmm. If you want to go that way. Well, I got to tell you, man, this has been long overdue for our chat for this. 
especially on Music on the Run. I know the fans have been writing and going, when are you going to get Fink on there? Really? I finally got you wow, on okay. here. You know, nice. I have to say that from me, like being a little <clears throat> brother, you're my big brother's age, watching the trajectory of your career in that influential age that I was when you and Prince were taking off and doing these things, we just thought you guys were the you guys were gods. We were like, wow, we can't believe this is happening in our own town. And you, all of you paved the way for the rest of us and everybody who came through here. And to see you uh, still at it with humor. I know everyone loves you because you are funny. You don't take yourself too seriously. You play your ass off. You take work seriously. Uh, you're a good guy to be around. And it's just so fun to finally, after however many years I've known you, be able to sit down in the same room and get this documented. And just tell you uh, what you've meant to this Minneapolis community, man. You are a legend here. Well, you really are. Well, thanks. I, I, I forget that a lot of times. Too. Well, cut it out. I know. I think other people may not give you the credit you deserve. So here I am, and not only with between my band members, with Minneapolis Funk All-Stars, People need to give it up to you because you are one of the pioneers of the Minneapolis Sound, no matter how you slice it. Matt Fink, Dr. Fink, right here on Music on the Run. Thank you so much for doing this, man. You're, you're welcome, yeah, Paul. Unbelievable. My pleasure. We will see you in a month, and it's going to be our three-year, I think it's three years, three-year anniversary of Music on the Run. Have a great month. We will see you then. We out. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. Video editing by Adi Wudali. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember to visit the Funky Doctor at least once a year. Yeah.